Hello, I'm Alison Larkin, writer, comedian, narrator and host of The Jane Austen Podcast and I am so excited because today I am speaking with writer, screenwriter and Austen fan Lucy Shuttleworth. Lucy is a successful screenwriter, creative writing professor, and avid Jane Austen fan. We'll get into the conversation right after this. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling-medical-investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, Lucy. Hello, Alison. Lovely to be here. Why don't you talk about how we first met and all of that and the link to Pride and Prejudice right from the start? Right. Okay. Yeah. So we first met because I was adapting uh, Alison's very brilliant novel, uh, The English American, um, which I'm sure she will tell you is quite a little bit auto, it's quite autobiographical. <laughs> so the main character, Pippa, is rather similar to Alison Larkin, it has to be said. So we never met, but we'd spoken on the phone and I felt um, a big connection to Alison. And one day she she turned up in Brighton, of all places, and we went for lunch and we suddenly realised that we were incredibly similar and dating, as we said, rather similar man, rather a similar man to Mr Wickham in Pride and Prejudice. And uh, that kind of led to us thinking, mm, maybe we should uh, write a TV show about women in their 50s and what happens. Um, and of course, we were both Austin fans. And we were also, I mean, like, because it was from... In the English-American, there was the Mr. Darcy and the Mr. Wickham character, very much like in Bridget Jones' diary. I mean, yes. I'd, I'd used that device because I really wanted to explore the nature of love, which, of course, is what Jane Austen is doing mm. um, in all her novels. Mm. And, and one of the things that I find so eternally fascinating is, well, let's start with the Mr. Wickhams. Why are they so irresistible? Is it because they almost invariably have a sob story that draws us in. What do you think? 
I think that's absolutely true. I mean, the first thing, obviously, is they're usually rather sexy, handsome, and know how to talk to women, and then give the sob story, and then we feel like, oh, you poor thing, how terrible. We can look (laughs) after you. We can save you, obviously, by (laughs) sleeping with you. Um, But Elizabeth doesn't go down that route, but... She is, she chides herself because she's immediately ready to to challenge Darcy on his terrible treatment of Wickham and protect him. And I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a kind of literary archetype and it's used in so many films that, but it, maybe the bad thing is that women are made to think, oh, well, you know, if we can meet a Mr. Wickham and change him, then... Uh, yeah, that's it. That's well, that's it. what I think is, that's what we do. And I think, you know, it's all very well, you know, we talk about... Here we are in 2023, and it's a, it's it's such a different world. Women are able to make their own living. We have freedom of choice, and yet, even with that, very often we continue to be attracted to the same archetypes, like Mr. Rochester in uh, in Jane Eyre. He's a bad boy. It's the it's the Heathcliff. It's the bad boy. It's but the... I think maybe that's because those are maybe Jane Austen without realizing that we're. Those kind of archetypes are set up and nice boys like Mr Bingley are not set up to be, they're not the heroes. But often in romantic comedies and films and books, you know, she goes out with the bad boy and the audience and the reader is rooting for the heroine to then to end up with the nice boy at the end. Or the bad boy changes. Um, like right. I guess Hugh Grant is the Mr Wickham in, uh, in Bridget Jones. Oh, yes, um, he is. But I suppose it's that bad boys can be a scene to perhaps uh, have more, be more fun yeah. than the good guy. But that's the thing. I mean, Austin seems to be so... I mean, I don't know. It, I, I, of course, was in love with Mr Darcy or thought I was when Me I was, too. you know, a teenager. You too. What I'm really curious, Lucy, is yes. what is your earliest memory or awareness of Jane Austen or her stories. Wow. And you told me once that you'd read Pride and Prejudice 18 times. <laughs> Why? Yes. And yes. what changed for you as you grew older as you read it? I think probably my grandmother introduced me to Pride and Prejudice when I was probably nine or ten and, and read read me the opening chapter. Um, and then I read it myself. And I think there's something... I mean... She explores all the kind of human characteristics, pride, prejudice, snobbery, ignorance, love, passion, class, parenthood. But also it's funny. And she's so funny and she's so entertaining. And I think I read it probably once as quite, yeah, when I was very young and didn't probably understand it and then read it again as a teenager and then read it again. And in times of kind of difficulty through my life, I found it. It's a comfort book. It's like eating chocolate. And it's so familiar, but I feel like Jane Austen has supported me through my life because we meet her characters over and over again. We all meet Lady Catherine de Bourgh. We, we all meet, we meet Mr Collins, we meet Mr Wickham's, and she's so brilliant, the observation of, of human nature and, and how people are. And it's, uh, I think, yeah, Pride and Prejudice is, for me, Although perhaps, you know, it's very popular for a reason. She was maybe on one of our first populist authors. It's it's brilliantly written. It's it keeps the tension and the suspense, will they, won't they, all the way yeah. through. 
And also, they're flawed. The characters, Elizabeth, is really flawed, which makes her that much more human and attractive yeah. in that she isn't perfect, nor is they both suffer from pride and prejudice against each other. And that sort of twist of the plot that undulates throughout the novel is is really engaging. And, you know, we have Mr Collins, who's probably one of the greatest literary inventions <laughs> in the world. <laughs> Well, we've all unfortunately endured our share of Mr. Collins. I mean, I, as you know, um, recently there was a gentleman who shall remain nameless who was most interested Mm. in courting me. Mm. And I don't know why I'm using the word courting. Yes, I do. Because this is the Jane Austen podcast. Did in those days? (laughs) He was courting me, and he was American. And when I declined his invitation to spend the rest of my life with him, very politely, um, he told me that I was probably, he. I would never meet anybody <laughs> who would love me as much as he would or be as good to me as he would. And um, he really said, well, you know, I'm probably your very best bet. And basically, I'm the catch. And, and I, I was doing this podcast at the time. It just started and I just cracked up. I'm just going, it's Mr. Collins all over again. It's Mr. Collins. That's exactly what he said. Yeah, Mr. Collins. So there you go. So Mr. Collins came to your rescue, perhaps in a moment of like, oh, dear, Mr. Collins then yes. pops his funny face. <laughs> well, I suddenly thought, oh, yes, I'm very well out of that one. But there's so much to talk about. But, you know, just one thing, I just got back from Regency Week and we're going to probably, well, we will be having some episodes of some of the people I interviewed there. But one of the things that everybody was saying, which you've just said, and which is certainly true for me, is is how comforting Pride and Prejudice is. Mm. Partly because, I mean, for me, partly because when I was 15, I read it and it's so familiar, but also because there's a, a, a goodness at the heart of the writer. There's, there's um, and, and that, that's very soothing for me, um, as yeah. you know, and I, I, yeah. I've talked about this a, a yeah, bit, yeah. is, you know, recently, well, well, not even that recently, but, you know, uh, my fiancé died, which was a terrible time for me. And oddly enough, it was Jane Austen that helped me through that period because I was I was actually narrating the final Jane Austen novel that I narrated at that time, and it just... I found it soothing and and it was a world that was familiar. And the thing is that no matter what happens in the world, pandemics or or who knows what's going on with Russia or whatever, Jane Austen's always going to be there and it's always <laughs> going to be the beginning, middle and end and it's yeah. always going to be the same. Yeah. But I think because I'm in America and you're in England that we yeah. really do need to talk a little bit about the British class system Ooh, yes, to explain... That because in America, here's the difference. In England, it's all about background, and and in America, it's all about money. And but could you please now single-handedly explain the British class system to our listeners, Lucy? Oh, single-handedly, right? Okay. Well, it all goes back to the right of kings, so that the the belief that the royal family are connected to God. And therefore, underneath the royal family are the aristocracy. And then there's a kind of hierarchy that goes on and on and on. So there is this sort of feeling that uh, if you're part of the of the British um, upper classes, you are superior to those beneath you, 
which Jane Austen has great fun at poking. She pokes the bear. She pokes this idea all the way through many of her novels, but particularly in Pride and Prejudice, because we see Lady Catherine de Bourgh, who is the great, the great aristocrat, who is also a bit of a ninny. And uh, Jane Austen <laughs> yeah. gives us some great lines. If I had played the piano, I would have been, of course, a G- I can't, I'm sorry, I'm not quoting correctly, but she's constantly <laughs> saying how brilliant she is and how wonderful her daughter is and how wonderful and brilliant and funny she is. Not funny, but um, superior. Um, and Elizabeth just takes her on. This this Elizabeth, who she's very clearly said, you're not in the same class as me. I'm deigning you to sit at my table. But uh, uh, why, when she asks her how old she is, and Elizabeth says, I'm not going to tell you. With, what, with, with younger sisters, why would I? And Lady Catherine is appalled. So I think her and also Mr Collins' obsession, which I think, you know, he's almost like... Yeah. She's like his precious. Oh, Lady Catherine, Lady Catherine. Um, his obsession with her, and he's so um, greasy and kind of obsessive, which is also very funny. And then, of course, in the classism is explained because there are all these girls, and I love her kind of, you know, she was an early feminist. There are all these women living in this house, and their mother is is upset because of the inheritance laws. Her daughters, unless they're married, will have nothing. Um, so she wants them to marry well and marry money. Um, and the class system, she wants them, she wants Jane, the beautiful Jane, the eldest, to marry Mr Bingley because then they will set up all the other daughters well. Um, and it's it's a kind of, she's poking fun at a society which is very unfair, really, and that women have no um, agency. They can't vote. They can't, they don't, they can't even own properly. They have to, they have to marry to escape their situation. Um, and within that, obviously, comes the class system. But Jane Austen obviously doesn't think that um, aristocrats are superior intelligence, given her description of Lady Catherine. And the Bingley sisters, who are very, very bitchy. Let's, uh, oh, God, <laughs> they're yes. so bitchy. And they come from money. And within the, the class system, there's also a lot of snobbery about people saying, oh, they're nouveau riche. They haven't, they're not old money, which I think probably is still a little bit in this country still. But of course, the aristocrats have to marry money to keep their big houses, which are terribly expensive. Um, I'm sure everyone's seen Downton Abbey. Um, so, but within that, there's all this kind of ridiculous snobbishness about who comes to what, how much property they have, how much money they have. Um, and Jane Austen is brilliant. She just, she just, she just uh, um, makes fun of it. Yeah, and I think the thing that's so interesting, anyway, that I find living in the United States, and I've lived here for thirty years, is that the English class system is, of course, all about accents. So if you're talking like this, like Mr. Darcy, or you're frightfully posh, yes. that's an upper crust aristocratic. Oh, actually, not necessarily. If you close your mouth. We can't really close them out. Yeah, very back of the throat sort of thing. Um, But it's about accents and it's about attitude and superiority and snobbery. Um, So it fascinates me that that so many Americans really have such, you know, they really seem to to link to it as well. And it's it's class, but it's about anybody who, I mean, in America or and often in England, if people have a great deal of money, they consider themselves to be somehow superior Absolutely. to people who do and not. Or people also, who have had, yeah. yeah. 
And that's why Elizabeth comes to Mr Wickham's um, rescue, because she thinks that Bingley and Darcy don't like him because he's a son of Dar old Mr Darcy's steward. And therefore, that for her makes him, you know, that much more attractive. And that's why right. she thinks Darcy has cut him off from his inheritance. But of course we find out it's because he's seduced his younger sister when she was only 15. Yes, he did. Now that brings us to another theme. I mm. mean, it is certainly true. You know, if you think about what Wickham has done, there's two 15-year-old girls yes, who he has seduced. I mean, it is absolutely appalling. He is a terrible, terrible man. He's a terrible and that, man. of course, happens, you know, it happens mm. all the time now. And people are ruined in different ways. Of course, it was there was so much more at stake for the for these five girls and yes. the family who would be completely ruined. They're ruined. Uh, if yeah. this thing had been yeah. able to continue. But, but you know, you look at an average 15-year-old girl in any society now whose who's emotional and psychological health is completely destroyed by an older man preying on her. Yes. Um, and it's, I think, what's so exciting is the way that... Um, you know, Jane Austen isn't shying away from something that is really, you know, pretty terrible here. Absolutely, um, and I think she channels it in quite a few of her books, but I think what she's also talking about, but because she's so brilliant and because she's so subtle, she's talking about sexuality, and young women are sexual. You know, there's this thing, oh, my God, the redcoats, you know, if it was today, there'd be a boy band. They're all screaming, <laughs> you know, they're... they're they're pubescent, they're teenage girls, they're excited, there are these handsome men swoon, swoon, and they're tight breeches. And she's talking about that. And Lydia and uh, Kitty are, oh, they're so excited. And even Mrs. Bennet says, oh, I used to love a red coat in my day. And if I'm honest, I even, you know, I do now. But, but of course, within that, they needn't, they needn't to be... Their burgeoning sexuality is exploited by these older men who seduce them, and then their lives are ruined. Um, right. and their families. So I think she's really, she's actually quite daring in many ways, Austin. But she does yeah. it in such a way that probably, you know, the publishers or the, 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 the powers that be who may will be rather like Mr Collins can't quite put their finger on what it is that she's saying, yeah, which no, is maybe brilliant. quite outrageous because I think she's, yeah, she's quite radical. She's looking at class. She's looking at, you know, the, the rights of women. She's looking at sexuality. And the reason why so we all love Elizabeth is because Elizabeth is this, this woman who is she's a young woman, but she she refuses to be uh, undone. She refuses to be told what to do. She refuses to kowtow to the upper classes, to those with more money, and she for that strength. We're, we're in awe of her because also she is a young woman with no real power. We'll get further into the conversation right after this. While I do really enjoy the convenience of streaming at home, there is something really special about the experience of going to the movie theater. And if you're like me and find yourself going a couple times a month or the cost of movie tickets has kept you from going as often as you'd like, Regal Unlimited just makes sense. Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass that pays for itself in just two visits. I love going to Regal theaters. I personally have gone twice in the last three weeks, and so this movie subscription pass is truly perfect. 
You can see any standard 2D movie anytime with no blackout dates or restrictions, and when you want to watch a movie in a premium format like 4DX, IMAX, RPX, or ScreenX, your Regal Unlimited memberships gets you into those premium experiences at a reduced cost. And with Regal Unlimited, you'll also save on snacks, which is personally a must when in the theater. Members get 10% off all non-alcoholic concession items. So if you're planning to see two movies this month, you need to join Regal Unlimited. Sign up now in the Regal app or on regmovies.com slash unlimited, R-E-G movies.com slash unlimited. When you sign up, use code Austin 024 and earn 10% off a three-month subscription. Again, Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass that pays for itself in just two visits. So if you're planning to see more than one movie this month, Regal Unlimited is the way to save money on your tickets and your snacks and just have that magical experience in a movie theater. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Lucy. Yes? I'm just wondering if we should have a little chat about the pros and cons of dating a Mr. Darcy Ooh. as opposed to a Mr. Bingley. Let's let's have a little think about that. What Ooh. do you think? I mean, I think Mr. Darcy, I have to be honest, I mean, he's not a great conversationalist and I think no. I would be bored out of my mind. But what, what do you think? I mean, <laughs> we all grew up uh, with the idea that Mr. Darcy, you know, he's the tall, dark, handsome, um, silent but deadly attractive man. And we all hope that um, later on, when at the end of the story, when she gets married, that he's going to turn out to be fascinating. But, you know, Hilary Mantel, before she died, um, is it, was writing a book about Mary Bennett's point of view. And Mary was very concerned that her sister had married someone who was very dull. Um, and that <laughs> wasn't up to her intellectual, wasn't her intellectual equal. So... I mean, I don't know, but of course, you know, it's very hard because we've all seen um, Pride and Prejudice, a TV series with Colin Firth um, taking off his shirt, you know, swimming in the pond. Um, And we all imagine that he's just going to be fascinating and uh, uh, very, uh, very interesting. I mean, I think he's a strong character and Elizabeth is very strong, so she couldn't possibly date someone like Bingley. Um. Who, if she'd walk all over, she'd him. walk all over him, and yeah. she wouldn't respect him. And she, she, she has a, she has, yeah. No, I, I don't like conflict myself. I, I would never be as, um, I'd love to be. I'd like, you know, we'd all love to be Elizabeth, but um, I think of the conversations, the things to say way after events have happened. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Lucy? Problem. I was just thinking the, the other no, the other day, 
we were chatting mm. um, about this and I realized, and you agreed, I mean, that I was very fortunate to have found, I found a great love and tragically he died. And so as I begin to slowly start dating again, after that, I am absolutely clear that I share Elizabeth Bennett's certainty that only a great love will mm. do. And I, you know, I, I keep thinking about online dating and Jane Austen and mm. how, you know, how, 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 what she would have thought of it. I mean, she would have, I think, quite liked the intentionality of it that you can go online and say, well, I don't want somebody who's this, that and the other. But I, I, but, I mean, it's a, it's a, I think for me, it's the a great love or nothing that I'm sure of. But you said something really interesting the other day, and I know it's shifting off to another writer, Mr. Thomas Hardy. Oh, yes. <laughs> what, what did you say? You said neither Darcy nor Bingley, but I more did, of... I did. I did. I actually said, you know, my if I had to pick my ideal literary man, it would be Gabriel Oak from Far From the Madding Crowd um, because Bathsheba... Uh, Everdeen is another great literary heroine and she's a woman ahead of her time she has her own farm and no one thinks a young woman should own and run a farm and and Gabriel is her um, kind of right hand man as it were and in the kind of in the scene where she's married the terrible Sergeant Troy who is another Wickham and she oh, realises yes. it after the wedding night and she's like oh I should have married Gabriel, who'd also asked her. But Gabriel now has no money, and he he goes to fix her barn in the terrible storm, and he saves the harvest. And I, I think, yeah, that's the kind of man you want. You want a man who's going to save your barn in a big storm. I mean, and also, he's probably got very big muscles. But um, the thing is... <laughs> sorry, I'm digressing. Um... He's also a little Darcy-like, I guess, because Darcy does rescue Elizabeth in that he saves Lydia's reputation. So for that, and he kind of realises that he's been a bit of a... He's been rather snobbish and arrogant and he's had no one but his dear, his dear Elizabeth would check. So, you know, from that point of view, I think Darcy is, is more of a catch than, than Bingley, for sure. Or, of course, uh, in an ideal world, Gabriel Oak. Yeah, but you know what I keep thinking? I keep thinking, OK, supposing Elizabeth Bennet were here mm. in the modern day and she was dating and she went online dating. Yes. Now, she would not say in her profile, she would not say, the person I am looking for is haughty, difficult, proud <laughs> and impossible to talk to, would she? And because she did not say that, she would never have met Mr. Darcy, which I think is a very good argument for maybe not doing online dating and just going to balls. <laughs> I think that, you know, I think she'd be hilarious because she'd be she'd be laughing at the subtext of, 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 of the profiles and the little untruths and she'd poke fun at the, you know, the mansplaining that goes on in the, in the online dating world. Oh, yes. Um, but, you know, she isn't perfect, as we've said, and she may, despite herself, go f for a Mr Wickham and look at handsomeness and sexiness over character and principle. You know, she may, she may go down that road before she realises that... Um, the grumpy um, man with the terrible photograph who says nothing, 
who has repeatedly asked her to meet him um, for um, a walk by the seaside is actually the one for her. Um, well, that's true. Now, you know, the other thing is, though, if she was here in 2023, I, I like to think that Elizabeth Bennet and I, well, you know, I'm very happy being a single woman because I have this wonderful four-legged friend called Charlie who is my dachshund. And, of course, in 2023, I can support myself financially and I live very happily in a community where I have many friends. That was not possible, of course, in Jane Austen's time. So the stakes were a lot higher. And that brings me to the subject of Charlotte Lucas. Now, mm. Elizabeth is very, very upset when Charlotte Lucas marries Mr. Collins. I mean, yes. she's horrified. She How but could I mean, you she, would be. she Your said. best friend marries Mr. Collins. Yes. And you're just like, I but, cannot speak to that man. He is an idiot. He is an idiot. But Charlotte Lucas, very pragmatic, brilliantly manages him. So she ends up with the vicarage. Yes, she has to put up with Mr. Collins. However, she's arranged to have her own sitting room in the house. She manages she Mr. Ma Collins very well. <laughs> she, she does learns, and she encourages She's a very Mr. bright woman and she learns how to manage Mr. Collins. So he's mainly in the garden. Exactly. And so there are, you know, that was rather brilliant. I think in a way that would be as close as you could get to being single and secure. Mm. But no, I, I just think all of, I mean, whenever I read this book or listen to it, I just go, oh my God, there's another layer every single yes. time. And yeah. and the men that I, I mean, the few men that I have met, whether they be, you know, dating people or just brothers or you know, people that I know in my community on either mm. side of the Atlantic, I'll tell you, I very, very rare that one of them doesn't slightly fit one of the male characters in Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> it's odd that, isn't it? How does that happen? Well, do you think that's just men in general, is that they're never going I to I mean, improve, I do think, really? to be fair to men, let's, let's not be too... Must um, we? anti-men here. Okay. I think there are more men in the world than the men in um, Pride and Prejudice. I mean, what we haven't talked really? about, so we haven't talked about Mr. Bingley. We we thought, we know that he's oh, very true. well suited, but isn't that also the novels about what kind of relationships people should end up in? So Elizabeth and Bingley wouldn't work and Jane and Darcy wouldn't work. Um, we haven't really talked about Mr. Bennett because Mr. Bennett ah. is actually quite a difficult character in the way he's very he can be quite cruel and he often he calls his daughter stupid which is something that I always kind of struggled with um <laughs> you think <laughs> personally um well, even though yeah, he doesn't do him. much huh well he sits around not doing much and his poor wife who gets such a bad rap is always laughed at and and said oh mrs bennett isn't she awful but actually she's really anxious because her yeah. husband is spending a lot of time in the library doesn't have a lot of money and as usual it's up to the woman to try and, she has, yeah, and um, five yeah, children fix the situation <laughs> i know all girls yes exactly i think yeah no exactly and uh, mrs bennett has you know, I like the fact she does remind me my, a little bit of my own mother in her plain speaking. Um, and the way that <laughs> Tell us does... a bit about your mum. Go on, Lucy, share a little bit about some of the plain speaking of your mum. Well, my mother, yes. Well, I can't swear. Um, my mother had quite sort of spoken, very, <laughs> was very terribly well spoken and also liked to swear a lot to shock people. Um, and she would like to just pick fights with people, probably maybe a little bit like Lady Catherine de Beau. 
um, and see what their metal was. And her thing was she would never have liked Mr Bingley because she'd always say, darling, never marry anyone with no bottom, which meant <laughs> that um, <laughs> you wouldn't want to marry anyone who wasn't a strong enough character. Because he isn't that strong, because he doesn't stand up for Darcy and say no to, to Darcy, does he? No. He doesn't say, but I love her. He Although loses I have the to love say, of his I life, do... potentially, and his terrible sisters. I always think, why does he hang out with these women? They're so horrible. That's true. They really are know. Well, nasty. he had to. There was no choice, I suppose. I actually, actually, and I think you're a bit harsh on Mr Bingley. I like Sorry. him. <laughs> <laughs> I think he has a bottom. I'm not, I didn't say he didn't have a bottom. I'm just saying that's the sort of thing my mother would have said um, were she here. If she would. If she was commenting <laughs> on Mr Bingley. <laughs> but she was also very, you know, if she'd felt that someone was rude to her children, like Mr Darcy, she wouldn't have cared who he was. She would have um, given him what for, which is what Mrs Bennet does um, and it mortifies uh, Elizabeth in her rudeness, in her directness, which you know, I identify with, with my own mother. Yeah. No, you're right. And I have a little thought. I mean, something that we were talking about the other day, mm. about the... I mean, you've you've alluded to it. Um, and I think in Bridget Jones' diary, doesn't he, doesn't Helen Fielding write jellyfish alert? A jellyfish um, alert, Bitchy yes, women. Does. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so the Bingley sisters really are so undermining and so yes. British and so snobbish and so awful, so awful to the Bennett sisters. I mean, they're just And again, we've all met them. Such... We've all had, yes. you know, we've all had those kind of, those women who... Um, uh, give terrible sort of one-liners and make you feel absolutely terrible. Um, but there's nothing you can say because they, they always speak in a very polite way, in a very polite way, um, as they land their insult. Have you got an example of that? Because I've got one from when I was at school. I was, as you know, well, the people listening don't know because they can't see me. But I'm not exactly a fashion plate. I don't really, unlike Lucy, by the way, who is incredibly beautiful and dresses so well. I oh, mean, Alison, she's drop dead gorgeous, drop dead. <laughs> I, on the other hand, well, I'm never quite sure what clothes to put together. So when I was at school, I remember those very archetypal girls chanting as I went through the cafeteria, wearing a blue top and a rather smashing pair of green trousers that I was very proud of, they began this chant which went, blue and green should never be seen without a colour in between. And it was devastating. Now, tell me, what kind of one-liners have you received? I know that you've been somewhat, I mean, because you're so beautiful, oh, a lot of women, yeah, you are, a lot of women feel very threatened by that. And so they've undermined you. I mean, do you have some examples along the lines of the Bingley sisters? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, it's difficult to know. I mean, I can't really answer that. I'm English. You know, we can't possibly um, talk about things like that. <laughs> oh, sorry. Compliments. I'm way too American. Um, you know, now. there is a big okay. difference between the English and the Americans. Um, I mean, the it's other true. day I met, I have a dog too that I'm rather besotted with. And I was away working yes. and I met a woman in the park who looked at me and said, well, the thing is, I really love my dog. So I wouldn't leave her with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> And I walked on go, feeling like, obviously, I'm a really bad dog owner. I don't, I don't dog my, <laughs> I don't love my dog enough. I to. know. So that is a kind of example of. Um, I had an experience once at a party 
after splitting up with said Mr. Wickham and another woman who also yes. he dated came up to me and said, oh, have you seen his girlfriend? She's a new girlfriend. She's very young and very beautiful. And um, she made a big point of, of saying it and then said, so lovely to see you and walked on. So I guess those are two examples of the... Um, yeah, it's just little things, but it's, it's little, so, yeah. I mean... And, yeah, as the jellyfish alert that kind of leaves you feeling... Um, I mean, parents can do it as well, you know, with other kids. And my child <laughs> is... Um, you know, cares about other people, so they, you know, eat all their carrots or something like that. I don't know. That's a bad example. But there is that kind of, um, yeah, Bingley, Bingley sisters, uh, Bingley sister stings. Yeah. And I think anybody listening to this and anybody reading Pride and Prejudice or listening to Pride and Prejudice is going to relate. We're all so sensitive. We're, we're, every human being is so sensitive. And, and Jane Austen knew it and she understood all these nuances. And mm. I, the other thing I was, I was just listening yesterday um, to a passage of, um, you know, when after Mr. Darcy has appeared and upset Elizabeth very, very much. She's absolutely, you know, furious and then he leaves his letter and oh my god she realizes how wrong she has been about him she gets into you know she's really upset and she's got the thoughts whirling around and she goes on a walk I often go out on a walk in nature when I'm troubled by something but the way that that Austin sort of she captures it you know how how much internal pain can be caused Mm. by suddenly realizing that you have made a terrible mistake or and that, that that so much part of our being human is this internal agony that we all have and she writes about it and I mean I tend to go off on a walk and nature helps me and I think it helps you too doesn't it I think I think that's interesting but I also think she's a she's a she's a brilliant writer and great writing also has lots of conflict and so for us we want her to be with Darcy and that moment she's kind of physically disturbed by the letter she's she's upset she's angry um, by his, the way he talks about her, her family, but like all of us, you know, sometimes we are given home truths, and it's very difficult yeah. to accept what people are saying. But even if some some of what they say is true, <laughs> so you know, she thinks about her father, and she thinks about her sisters, and she thinks about her mother, telling everyone that Jane's going to marry a rich man, a rich man, and she uh. she is also kind of she doesn't even realise it herself, but she's very. She finds him very. I think that kind of sexuality thing is something we haven't, you know, spoken about. That 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 there is. She's very attracted to this man, but she kind of hates him. And that there is that, you know, that that relationship between love and hate is quite close. There is, if you really hate someone, mm-hmm. you're thinking about them all the time. So there is this intensity, and that's a real turning point when he asks, when he gives her the letter, and then she finds out. But she also has to face up to the fact that she was completely and totally wrong about Wick- Wickham, and. Um, yes which she'd kind of she'd lost interest in Wickham she kind of wasn't that massively surprised so I think um, yeah I think yeah going on a walk the settings in Pride and Prejudice are so brilliant but I also just wanted to pick up on what you were saying about why do we why do I come back to it why have I come back to it so much it's because it's so positive the Bingley sisters um, Lady Catherine de Bourgh all the kind of bad guys as it were in inverted commas get suffer and there's a very positive story in that um, Lydia marries Wickham and so is Safe and Jane and 
uh, Elizabeth married the loves of their life. And, you know, however complicated and difficult that might be, you know, that's a very, that is a very positive ending. And, you know, I'm a great romantic myself. Um, <laughs> so I like yes. that sort of romantic element of, of the story. Um, you know, the, eb- the obstinate, headstrong girl is it wins. And that that's great because she's sort of, you know, all of her themes of poking fun at the aristocracy and at money and at prejudice and snobbery, all of the people who are like that have um, have to suck it up. Yes, yeah. they do. Yes, no, it is most satisfying, is it not? Mm, it is, and it's very positive. And it's... Um, and I think they have, yeah. It's a, it's 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 a very positive story with a with a heroine who really um, hasn't been seen before. In that she also kind of comes to she 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 comes to terms. She she's able to say, "I felt I was wrong," which is also makes her that much more human yeah. and that much more endearing. Because all of us, none of us are, none of us are right <laughs> all the time, except obviously you and I. Are. Well. Oh, well, obviously. <laughs> you know, there's something that somebody said to me once, and I think it's true. I was writing something, and they said, you know, just be be authentic. Tell the truth, not necessarily literally, but the emotional truth. Because readers and listeners are not thinking about um, the story. They're thinking about themselves. Yes. And that's I think what point. Austin's managed to do, the, the, the truth mm. uh, behind each character, the, the, mm. the authenticity of the emotions, um, a, along with the wit and, and the brilliant comedic quality mm. of her writing. I mean, I think that's, I think, you know, people, people read and then they relate and there's something in Pride and Prejudice for everybody to relate to. I just thought what we, yep. we haven't maybe talked about in Pride and Prejudice is how brilliantly she kind of, she creates the world of, of, of women and all the fun that women have together and the sisterly relationship, yes. which is so powerful yes. between Jane and Elizabeth. And they really, Elizabeth loves her sister with a passion. Uh, I, I relate to that. I have a sister I love with a passion. And that closeness and all the fun of the girls living in the house together and the... You know, in the way you kind of think, oh, well, that's why Mr. Bennett finds that he, you know, he's there with these six women. Um, he is the only man. So maybe we can feel a little sympathetic for them. But I think she she, she writes that female friendship, female solidarity um, brilliantly. And she's, uh, it was also, if you're a young woman, which is the best time to read, to fall in love with Pride and Prejudice is because you have all these fantastic female characters. Absolutely. No, I think that's a really, really good point. And I love her relationship. I love Jane and Elizabeth's relationship. It's fantastic. And the way that Elizabeth protects Jane. She yeah. protects Jane. Elizabeth protects her. And then Jane is very protective of Elizabeth as well. And she says, are you sure you want to marry Mr. Darcy? Yes. After, I mean, are you absolutely sure? And then when Elizabeth says, yes, I'm sure. Then she says, "Then of course, and all is well." Yes. Um, so and it's very often, you know, you, how often have we had a friend who's, you know, involved with somebody who they used to hate, uh, or and said they, they have used to, to tell hate. everybody. So, actually, yes, <laughs> I don't yes. hate him anymore. Exactly, I, I love him. him. I love <laughs> him. Yes, no, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think their 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 relationship is really beautifully explored and. 
very authentic. And again, you know, I totally agree with you. All great writing, all writing that I love has has a real emotional yeah. truth. And I think that was an excellent point yeah. about um, characters, um, people yeah. reading themselves and seeing themselves. And those situations, of, as we've discussed, that... Um, Austin, we see these characters, uh, we meet all of them um, so many, so many times in our lives and we'll keep meeting them, I'm sure. <laughs> for better, for worse. Yes. <laughs> this has been such a treat to speak to Lucy Shuttleworth. Thank you so much for coming on. But before we go, Lucy, is there anything that you'd like to tell our listeners about that you're up to at the moment? Oh, thank you very much, Alison, for inviting me onto your um, your podcast. It was uh, wonderful to talk to you as usual. Uh, goodness me! Well, I have two bit. I have two projects. One uh, is very different to Jane Austen, but of course, I think a little bit of Austen influence comes into all my work. It's. Uh, it's actually an animation for kids uh, and we are working with a very exciting animation company which I'm also I'm writing and producing with a producing partner. It's called um, Lunar and Quinn, so watch, watch this space. And something very different, uh, a psychological horror TV series that I can't mention the title of or what's happening with it. But um, Oh, well, there is, of course, this amazing project that I'm writing with Alison Larson, <laughs> uh, which is called A Life I Love, which is kind of based very, you know, there's a lot of truth in there based on me and Al Alison and I finding ourselves at yes. the point where we've started writing um, single and navigating the dating experience in your 50s, but also finding a life I love and what women want rather than just men, actually all of the other exciting um exciting aspects of finding a life once their children are grown up and they're starting to think about what it is they want to do and how they want to live the, the next um, part yeah. um, and of course it is intensely funny so and we yeah it's very exciting times thank you lucy thank you alison it was great fun If you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to rate, review and share it with friends. You can listen ad-free by joining Realm Unlimited at Realm FM or Realm Plus on Apple Podcasts. You can also find more shows like this one by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or at Realm FM. I'm your host and narrator, Alison Larkin. And I'll see you next time. You're listening to the Pride and Prejudice podcast with Alison Larkin. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. 
You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. The Jane Austen Podcast with Allison Larkin is a Realm Original production. Hosted and performed by Allison Larkin. Based on the novels by Jane Austen. Produced by Kaylin West and Nicole Kreuter. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Audio produced and edited by Kaylin West. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi. Performed by Jody Redditch Ferber and Ben Russell. Musical engineering by Justin Murrow. Musical supervision by Marcus Thorne Bagala. Production management by Devin Shepard. Production coordination by Angela Yee. Cover art by Naomi Cho. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like the Jane Austen Podcast with Allison Larkin by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.